Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Dr. Mike Walden here on Carolina Newsmakers, and we are, as we said before, uh, talking to Dr. Walden from an economic point of view of how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting us here in North Carolina, how the recovery is going, and uh, what's probably in the future, and uh, as far as the short-range and long-range future. Uh, one of the things, of course, that is nice and low right now is interest rates. Mortgage rates are have been uh, either at historic lows or very close to it. What do you see happening there? Is that condition going to stay for some time? Yes, the Federal Reserve actually uh, had a big pal- big meeting um, last week, uh, and uh, Federal Reserve Chair uh, Jay Jay Powell. I was I was getting meeting and Powell there mixed up. Uh, Jay Powell said that um, the very low interest rates the Federal Reserve has engineered are going to stay for the foreseeable future. So, so I think that is a signal that interest rates will be low, which has a plus and minus. If you're a risk-averse investor and you're investing in money market funds or treasury securities or CDs, you're going to get a very paltry amount of, of money on interest. But for borrowers, that's very, very good news. And uh, this, I think, will definitely, I think, has, has already helped the housing market. The housing market hasn't collapsed as much as we might have thought. And I think it's going to help the housing market clearly going, going forward. The other uh, potential borrower that it could help would be governments. Uh, the federal government, of course, all the money that the uh, president and the Congress has appropriated for the uh, various uh, stimulus plans, all that money has been borrowed. So that's being added to the national debt. We'll have to service that national debt in the future. But the good news there is interest rates are historically low. So at least the interest payments will be, will be very, very low. The other um, uh, player here could be uh, state governments. Uh, North, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of people in North Carolina who want to borrow money for our transportation network, for maybe high-speed internet in rural and small-town areas, um, for, for other purposes, uh, school buildings. And if we were to do that, and of course, this is a joint decision between the governor and the General Assembly, but if we were to do that, again, this would be a good time to do it in terms of locking in those low interest rates. You mentioned the national debt. Uh, You know, we all uh, hear about it and see how rapidly it's going up. At what point in time are we getting in a danger point of view of what we can afford to borrow? Well, the key there, Don, is whether you can, national debt is different than a private debt. We, we don't ever have to pay off the national debt because we are a society that it keeps going on and on and on. Whereas if you take out debt as a person or, or business, that, that debt is, uh, needs to be wrapped up as long as the biz, when the business uh, or the person wraps up. Um, so so we, can, we can handle the national debt. The key number that at least I watch is the percentage of the federal budget that is taken to pay the interest on the national debt. And, and that is not at an astronomical level. That's still at a very, very doable level. And, and the reason is because interest rates have come down so much. Uh, but I think obviously in this case of borrowing to, to deal with the economic losses of the pandemic, I think this was a, quite frankly, a no brainer. We had to do it. If, we, if the federal government had not backstopped businesses, had not backstopped households, we would be dealing not with an economy that maybe has a bankruptcy rate of 20%. We maybe have been dealing with an economy that had a bankruptcy rate of 60%. So this was a time where I know people don't like to borrow money at the governmental level, but this was a time where we really had to do it. 
We had to do it in order to preserve the economy. And it was uh, something we didn't want to do, but the pandemic came. We have to deal with the pandemic. So, so I'm not really concerned about that borrowing. We will have to obviously monitor it in the future. This may put a damper on things that the federal government does down the road. But in terms of backstopping this economy, we absolutely had to do it. Local governments and, and the state of North Carolina government, of course, have a requirement for a balanced budget. Yes. Now, that doesn't include capital improvements because right. we do that with bond money. But uh, even the interest in the service debt on that has to be a balanced budget. So with uh, incomes down, uh, state yeah. revenues will be down uh, somewhat. Uh, how is the state of North Carolina going to fare? And then uh, how are some of our cities, which uh, in many cases, some of our rural cities were already in trouble? What, what well, do you see happening there? Yeah, well, you put your finger, Don, I think, on the next uh, tripwire here, and that is that the federal government in its variety of packages to deal with the coronavirus, they did allocate monies to states primarily, but it was targeted money. It was money that had to be spent in certain ways, primarily ways to deal with the coronavirus in the medical area, et cetera. Uh, what this has meant, as you rightly said, is the economy has, has uh, slowed down and shrunk and here in North Carolina. Our budget people uh, just uh, two weeks ago did their forecast for fiscal year uh, 2021, which starts uh, July 1st, the general fund, which is the operating fund of North, of North Carolina, the general fund revenues are gonna be down 10%, they estimate, and could be more, could be less, but 10% is a big chunk. And then uh, you're, you're certainly right, counties, municipalities are in the same boat. So this is an issue, we know it's an issue, our elected leaders at, at the federal level know it's an issue, There, there's a proposal already passed in the House, House of Representatives in Washington to allocate money for state and locals. The Senate does not yet have a proposal, but my, get, my, my forecast is they will work out a compromise and we will have another package passed at the federal level that will include significant monies going to North Carolina as well as the, the states uh, and, and the counties. In fact, um, uh, probably our, our General Assembly may very well delay doing a, a permanent budget for the next fiscal year until they see what happens at, at the federal level. But I, I would anticipate that. I think uh, the, the roles of state and local governments are so important and their payrolls are so important uh, that I think the federal government will do something. It's just a matter of getting the, the, the parties together uh, to some compromise. Um, North Carolina has always been a growth state, and uh, how is this going to affect our growth rate? Well, I actually think, Don, that um, when we get past the pandemic and we back, get back to some sense of normality, I don't think this has damaged North Carolina's brand at all. In fact, I think in some ways it may enhance North Carolina's brand. I think, I think the states and the localities that really need to be worried about this in the long run impacts would be those, those regions that have the big megacities. Uh, so you go up the East Coast, Northeast Corridor, you go from Washington to, to New York to Boston, et cetera, Philadelphia, maybe look at Detroit and, and the West Coast. Uh, the pandemic, of course, the epicenter of the pandemic has been in New York City. And there's already been a lot of discussion about businesses maybe potentially leaving New York City, people leaving New York City because they don't want to be around when the next pandemic hits and they may be afraid to use the mass transit. So I don't, I don't like, I don't want people to think that I'm trying to benefit or want our state to benefit from someone else's woes, but I do think 
if there are businesses, if there are households who want to leave some of those really mega metropolitan areas, they're looking for somewhere else to go. I think North Carolina is a very, very logical place. Uh, even our cities, our, our big cities, the Triangle, Charlotte, the Triad, I mean, we're not in that mega level. And, and we don't have the density and congestion, et cetera. So I think, I don't, th I don't see North Carolina's brand at all being harmed by this pandemic. And in fact, I think um, uh, the pandemic may actually enhance our brand. I was talking with a couple weeks ago with our um, business recruiters, the, the North Carolina Economic Partnership, where Chris Chung runs that. And he told me that there has been no slowdown of inquiries by out-of-state businesses about North Carolina. And I think just last week, if I remember my numbers right, uh, or the last couple of weeks, there's been an announce, announcements in North Carolina that total a thousand new jobs coming to the state. So I think our state will do quite, quite well after this. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Dr. Mike Walden, uh, who's been with us a number of times. And of course, this week we are <laughs> focusing on the effects to the state of North Carolina as caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's affecting us in our everyday lives. We've talked about interest rates. We've talked about uh, the federal government's role in uh, the economic recovery. And we've talked about the, the job rate uh, reports that will be coming out again soon and so forth. And so, Dr. Walden, uh, again, let me remind the folks, if you're listening to the stations that carry only a half-hour version of this program, you can hear two additional segments by going to carolinanewsmakers.com. And on that, you will hear the two segments that you did not hear. Or if you want to share the entire broadcast with a friend, you can do that as well. well Dr. Walden, uh, we, uh, of course, have covered an awful lot of ground so far in the program. Uh, what are you looking for in the next week as far, or next couple of weeks as far as indicators of what might come about that might change things or might uh, change the timing of particular events that we've already talked about? Well, everyone, of course, wants the economy to, to open up more. We want people to get back, all people to get back to work. We want businesses to, to have business, have customers. 
And we've been moving in that direction. I think the current phase uh, of reopening in North Carolina, phase two, I think that expires uh, next week. So the governor's going to have to make a decision about do we go further? Do we stay where we are? And of course, I think one of the key parts there is to watch those numbers, watch the number of new COVID-19 cases, watch the number of hospitalizations, uh, watch the number of deaths. And I think the first two have actually been trending upward, which most people thought would happen once we began to reopen. Uh, but we want to make sure that if they do continue to trend upward, how fast are they trending upward? And do we, do we continue to have, which we still do have, the hospitalization capacity to handle the, those cases. So that's going to be a key input, I think, into the governor and governor's decision. Of course, he's been very ably advised by uh, a Health and Human Service Secretary, uh, Mandy, Mandy Cohen. Uh, this, is a, this is a tough needle to thread, Don, and I think that's the way to look at it, because on the one hand, you've got the health concerns, and if, if, you, if you were only concerned with minimizing cases and minimizing deaths, you would close the economy down totally. You wouldn't allow people to go about anywhere. That's obviously not feasible. And I don't see us even walking back to, to, to go back to where we were. So on the other side, you do have the economy. We have to have a functioning economy so people earn money, businesses earn money. And, and the very, very tough job, and this is usually the job, well, it is the job of governors in each state, is to thread that needle between the health part and what I call the wealth part. And we want health and wealth to go together. And my, my admonition to people, and especially the kind of people I, I teach, the 18 to 20, we'll call it, say 28 years old, is please, please be responsible. Uh, make, behave when you're out in public because uh, uh, the virus is still out there. You can transmit it. Um, so so um, pay, pay attention to the three W's, what weight, which is the social distancing, aware, wear a mask. I think that's going to be required in Raleigh. And then wash, wash your hands thoroughly. Uh, if we do those things, we behave, all of us behave when we're out in public, then we can thread that needle. But if we don't behave, then, then I'm, 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 I'm concerned. You, of course, are on the faculty of NC State. Colleges are talking about returning. I think it's August 8th. I believe that's the date. Public schools are talking about returning. But let's talk about colleges because uh, the question gets to be now, will all the students want to return? Will mm -hmm. some want to take a gap year? Will some uh, uh, change their, their graduation route uh, and so forth? And of course, uh, not only the public schools because this is going to affect the economics. If, if enrollment goes down, the funds uh, to operate the colleges are not necessarily going to go down. And then, of course, you've got private schools, and if their enrollment goes down, most of those are pretty close to break-even all, all the time. What do you see happening there? Well, um, I, I have said for a number of years that, that I think colleges, universities uh, are, are looking at some very dynamic changes uh, coming forth, primarily due to, to technology, the ability to, and it's been around now for years, to educate uh, individuals virtually. We also have an issue with the college age population is expected to go down in the future. So these are challenges I think colleges and universities were ultimately gonna face, it's just now they're facing them sooner. So like so many things, the pandemic has brought a lot of things that we knew were coming fast forward. And universities like NC State are gonna to have to make decisions and they're in the process of doing that. Can they educate students safely uh, on campus? And I think we're making plans to do that in terms of spacing, et cetera. 
uh, but we're also, I think, making plans to vastly increase our remote learning. And I think the big question there, Don, is going to be, is remote learning going to be the wave of the future? Uh, I don't think that, that courses on campus will ever totally go away, but I could see a day, I won't, I'll, I'll be long retired, but I could see a day where uh, most of the learning that takes place, at least for a lot of students on campus, could be done remotely, which would have all kinds of implications. For the infrastructure of universities, we wouldn't need as many buildings. How do you handle research that goes on very importantly in universities, outreach, et cetera. So uh, I think Randy Woodson, uh, for example, at NC State, I mean, there's a lot on his plate now, not just dealing with the, the virus right now, but what this implies for how, what, what is NC State going to look like and what's UNC Chapel Hill going to look like and do and, and NC Central, what are they going to look like 5, 10, 15 years down the road? Another, of course, big factor that uh, the uh, alumni and uh, the non-alumni are so concerned about now is what's going to happen to college athletics. And they've got several issues going on right now. First of all, the pandemic, and then they've also got this issue of, of, of whether student athletes should be paid and mm -hmm. how they should earn their scholarships. That's, a, that's probably a whole session for a whole another program because there's all sorts of implications there. But... Uh, Certainly, uh, that's going to affect the uh, economics of the, uh, the schools as well. And, uh, of course, you know, uh, most people uh, fail to understand that in the case of especially North Carolina, uh, Chapel Hill, and NC State, when an athlete gets a scholarship, there is a check written, and it comes out of athletic funds, tuition, mm -hmm. and, and scholarship. That's not a free ride. Private colleges, of course, uh, they have a different situation. But nonetheless, they've still got to fund it. Yeah, and I think one of the questions there, so you're absolutely right, Don, all kind of issues there as well as with major league sports, but in terms of college sports, I think one big issue is, is this a short run thing? Are we dealing, are we simply talking about the fall semester and then next spring, if we get a vaccine, we're back to normal? Or is this a long run thing? Now, I think your, your comment about the payment of athletes, that's an issue that's already been simmering, somewhat independent of the pandemic, but it's probably been heightened in terms of its awareness. Uh, due to the pandemic. So you're absolutely right. College athletics, which is, well, let's face it, it's a, it's a part of the college experience. Even if you're not an athlete, you, you enjoy going to, I enjoyed when I was at Cornell and seeing Ed Marinero set the NCAA rushing record. Um, um, it's a, it's part of going to college. And, and yeah, you're right that that's under some stress now. And we don't really know how college athletics will come out of this also. Well, it's, it's a very interesting situation that we have there. And, uh, uh, I, I guess only time will tell how that's going to come out. Let's talk about globally now, because, of course, we're not the only country that has been affected by the pandemic. And uh, how is this whole thing affecting trade and yeah. trade agreements and things of this nature and our import and export balance of payments? Well, this is the big uh, global competition, I think, in terms of the U.S. Clearly in the last several years, maybe even decades, has been with China. And of course, even before the pandemic, we had trade issues with China. The president wanted uh, putting tariffs on China. They putting tariffs on us uh, because he was upset with some things China did in the trade world, as well as previous presidents were also. This has added another layer because there are a lot of people who think the pandemic, the virus started in, in Yuan, China. They think China was not forthcoming with the, with the um, concern over this and how it could spread. So I think, I, I said earlier, I don't think North Carolina's brand as, a, as an economy and a state have been hurt. I think China's brand has been very much hurt. 
And I could see uh, a lot of our companies saying, you know, if we, if we deal with China and we especially if we import in, uh, things from China, uh, we, our supply chain is tied to China. Let's look, for some, let's look for a way to alter that. Let's see if we could reestablish that supply chain here in the U.S. Let's not become so, let's release, uh, reduce our dependence on China. So I think that's probably a big, big takeaway. And whomever is elected president in November, whether it's uh, Donald Trump for another term or whether it's Joe Biden, I think that's going to be one of the big issues we're going to have to deal with in the next four years. And I think it's even bigger now than it was, was four years ago. I think in terms of Europe, uh, Europe has been through the same thing that we've been through. Uh, yes, we've been reevaluating our trade relationship with Europe and with the UK, especially. In fact, with the UK, we were expected to develop a new trade relationship. All that's sort of been set aside by the pandemic, but I would look for that to be rekindled. So I think the big question mark is with China. Well, you, you mentioned their, their brand has been damaged. Does that uh, include other countries' relationships with China or just the United States' relationship? Uh, I, I think I think a lot of countries are going to look, yes, no, I think that uh, many countries are going to look suspiciously at China. You, you're probably aware there, there's actually been some fighting between India, uh, Indian soldiers and Chinese soldiers at the border between the two. Uh, India is a growing superpower. India is thought to be, it's going to replace China. And in, in, in not too long as the most populous state in, in the world, it's, it's flexing its muscle uh, muscles. We're trying to cozy up to them. So, yeah, I think that whole East Asian area region with China and now India as the center part will, will be a source of, of uh, conflict, hopefully not shooting conflict, but, but certainly trade conflict and diplomatic conflict. Well, it's uh, very interesting, all the things that are going on. So uh, you've got about one minute, well, you've actually got about 30 seconds to summarize what we should be watching for next week. If we're watching the news next week. Well, by next week, we will have the May job numbers for North Carolina. So very important to look at those, see if they went the same way as the nation. Hopefully we'll have added jobs and lower unemployment rate, which would suggest that maybe the economic recovery is started here in North Carolina. That would be a big plus. And your anticipation is that it might? Yes, uh, my anticipation is that, it, yes, we will see good numbers uh, when those numbers are released for North Carolina, yes. Dr. Mike Walden has been our guest on Carolina Newsmakers. As always, he brings a, a certain uh, degree of uh, simplification to minds like mine <laughs> that allow me to understand exactly what's going on, and we certainly appreciate your taking time to spend with us on this occasion. It's my pleasure, Don. Produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can do so by going to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolinanewsmakers.com. That's the web address for that. So until next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.